Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Unlike most countries in Latin America, Mexico has not passed a big economic stimulus package amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Why? And how long can they hold out? He has to change the narrative in the coming days, accept the fact that we need to, to change that debt-to-GDP ratio because you need resources. Economies all over the world are being devastated by COVID-19, but in Latin America, one of the economies expected to suffer the most in coming months is Mexico. The IMF said this week it expects GDP in Mexico to shrink by a whopping 6.6% this year. That compares to an expected loss of 4.5% in Chile and Peru and 2.2% in Colombia. Of course, these numbers are really imprecise at this point. No one really knows what these economies are going to do. But what this relative spread between all these countries tells you is that the outlook in Mexico uh, is darker. So today on the podcast, we're going to ask questions about why Mexico looks to be in such a tough position, uh, what, if anything, can be done to avoid a darker fate, and ask why the president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, has not yet taken a tougher response and enacted stimulus measures to the extent we've seen elsewhere in the region. I'm joined today on the podcast by Vanessa Rubio Marquez. Vanessa is a senator in Mexico's Congress from the PRI, uh, Institutional Revolutionary Party, and she previously served as Mexico's Undersecretary of Finance and Public Credit. Thank you so much, uh, dear Brian, and thanks to the Americas Quarterly for having me here. Vanessa, it's great to have you on the podcast because you're someone who, for obvious reasons, is very attuned to the details of Mexico's fiscal situation. Talk to us a little bit about how prepared Mexico is for what's expected to be a, a really difficult few months ahead, and maybe you can help us make more sense of the government's conservative response so far. The difference between Mexico and the rest of the countries in the world is, I think, the way we were before the, the crisis hit. So that means that Mexico had been growing for the last six years at a pace of 2.5%. But in 2019, following a new model of development, uh, we grew at minus 0.1. So that meant that we weren't in the best of shapes. We used a, a fund that was created for crisis management uh, without having a, a real crisis for, for the purpose that which this fund was created. So that fund was uh, used in 2019, unfortunately. And now I think it uh, hit us when we were weaker instead of being stronger and with all the variables in place as they were before. So that is the difference, the way this crisis is hitting us. So some of that was was clearly due to low confidence among investors after, you know, the first year of President López Obrador's you know, time and power. I want to come back to that, though, and focus for now on the fiscal part of things, because wh while it's true that, as you know, Mexico's economy didn't grow at all in 2019, it still, at least based on my understanding, was in a relatively privileged fiscal position compared to some other economies around Latin America. I mean, if you look at Brazil uh, and especially Argentina, these are countries that were on far shakier fiscal ground, and yet they have mounted a fiscal stimulus response to this crisis 
that is bigger than Mexico's so far? I mean, just a couple of things. The the top business lobby group in uh, Mexico called uh, the government's response incomplete. Goldman Sachs chief Latin America economist called the Mexican fiscal response underwhelming. Why? Why is Mexico? Why is this government not spending more so far, at least, to combat this pandemic? I think that's that's the real question here. Why is this government not pouring resources to those that are more vulnerable to the health sector and to the SMEs, you know, as priorities in order for them to be able to cope with this crisis? But this government has insisted uh, on on two things that I think is very relevant to, to think about. First of all, the model, the economic model. And the economic model has two flaws, I think, that haven't been corrected and, and have us in the position we are now. First of all, as you have mentioned, it's the, uh, the confidence on investors that has been deteriorated. Why? Because they canceled the most important infrastructure project, the, the Mexican airport, uh, not only giving reasons why not to invest in Mexico to, to domestic and international investors, because obviously the rule of law wasn't respected. All of a the sudden, they, they just stopped the airport and you already had a great deal of resources invested there. Uh, and then the second, I think, uh, flaw that hasn't been corrected yet is that they decided not to accept private sector resources in the energy sector. The energy sector of Mexico, Pemex in particular, need resources that we all know. And you have to make a decision either to to have them uh, come from the public sector or the private sector or a mix of both. But they just suddenly stopped uh, to, to accepting private sector resources. That meant the public sector needed to finance Pemex. And that financing of Pemex has also deteriorated the fiscal position. So, so being at this point in time where a huge loss of investment, both domestic and international, took place, but also the confidence uh, is low. And also, you're not allowing to invest private resources in the energy sector and Pemex in particular. Then you have to um, use a, a huge amount of fiscal resources to, to finance Pemex with the oil shock that we just received uh, this year. So I think that Mexico is receiving all these shocks, the shocks of confidence, the shock of not having a, a private and an international investment in the levels we had before, the shock of needing to pour fiscal resources into Pemex, uh, and then the oil shock. So all this has us in the situation we have now, but also this is mixed with the ideology and the ideology is there uh, saying that they promise the people not to get more indebted. So they won't allow for, for a deterioration in, you know, in the PSBRs, uh, although they are going to be deteriorated anyways. Just for our readership, what's a PSDR? Uh, it's the public sector uh, borrowing requirement. It's a technical measure of the public debt of any country. So it's the most complete measure for the debt to GDP ratio in a country. So since the GDP is not growing as expected, and as you said at the beginning of the podcast, we have an expectation of minus 6.6% from the IMF, but we also have a minus 8% from Bank of America. Uh, already the, the Ministry of Finance deteriorated the, the uh, PSBRs 
from 45.6% to 52.1% of GDP. So you've really clearly explained the reasons for the low investor confidence in Mexico. I want to come back, though, and not to sound like a broken record on this, to the fiscal situation, because I have to confess, for me, it's something that I just don't understand. And so much of what we try to do here uh, on the podcast and in America's Quarterly generally is, is try to understand things. It is so odd to be sitting here right now and looking at a government that, you know, we certainly most people think of as being on the left uh, part of the ideological spectrum and to be complaining about the fact that they're not spending enough during a time of crisis like this. When you look at, you know, let's look beyond Latin America and look at the United States where you have the Trump administration, you know, a, a very Republican administration that is spending trillions uh, in order to, you know, support the economy and 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 give support to people and businesses. You look at Brazil and Argentina, again, countries that are on much more precarious ground, or at least that started this crisis on more precarious ground. Help me understand what is going on within the Lopez Obrador government that is causing them to not spend right now. It's just so strange for those of us who look at the region in a comparative way. You know, one thing I think we can characterize this uh, Mexican government for is being populist. What I am not sure is that we can characterize this government of being a, a leftish uh, government. And I think one thing that we as analysts need to start doing is not to be so binary uh, with the classification of the current governments that we see and the current leaderships we see. So I don't think there's a left and right leadership in Mexico or vision in Mexico anymore. A populist uh, vision, yes, indeed. But I think that this government is very liberal, not, not leftish in terms of fiscal vision, because one of the commitments that López Obrador did throughout his campaign, and he's trying to stick to that, is saying that we're not going to get indebted anymore, because his thinking was that the what he thinks were the, the governments of the right and the governments of the conservatives and the governments of the neoliberals, as he calls them, indebted the country and this is something that I will not do. So now he's found himself cornered because he said it so many times. It, it was a, a main cornerstone of his narrative that now he cannot all of a sudden say, well, you know what, I think they were right. But now, as I said, if you see the ratio of indebtedness to GDP, it, it has increased already from 45 to 52%. And I think they don't want to go any way further on that. But at the same time, you're facing the worst crisis ever in terms of health in our country and the worst crisis ever, most probably in terms of, of the economy. You know, the only time we have grown a minus 6.3% in the whole history of Mexico is in 1995. And now... The, the all the forecasts point to this being the, the historically uh, most harsh economic crisis in Mexico. So I think that he has to change the narrative in the coming days, accept the fact that we need to, to change that debt to GDP ratio because you need resources and you need to pull resources immediately to the to the health sector, but you also need to pull resources immediately in order for the economic crisis not to be as deep and not to last as long as, as it, it would otherwise last if we don't do proper fiscal policies 
proper spending uh, and proper policies in terms of lending and guarantees and, you know, protecting the vulnerable. So there's a, a huge array of policies that need to be taken. But for that, you need resources. And, and at the same time, there's a stubbornness about saying, and all of the resources the government gets, we're going to be pouring into Pemex instead of allowing private sector to do that work as, as it is in the rest of the world. It does sound like a government that is is trying to stick to its previous ideology, even though the world has changed. And I, I guess you can debate whether that gets called, you know, left or, or, or I, I mean, I think it's clearly populist. But it's interesting because so many other countries around the world are, you know, leaving behind their old ideologies and dogmas right now because the circumstances are just so dire. I want to get to... Um, you know, your views, Senator, on, on what the government needs to do. But I do want to talk first and take advantage of the fact that you're, you know, very much a, you're such an important personality in Mexican politics. And I know, you know, I, you must have dialogue with, with people across the ideological spectrum. Tell me, I mean, are there people right now trying to convince President Lopez Obrador to change his approach from within his own coalition? And if so, I mean, what, what kinds of arguments are they using? Definitely. I know that for sure. I know there's a big tension within the cabinet, for instance. I know that in Hacienda, we have a very good economist and, and uh, he knows, I think, what's coming uh, in terms of, of the health needs and also the, the economic crisis. I think that Hacienda is doing uh, its best to propose as a, an array of possibilities to the president in order to, you know, to not go crazy with, you know, indebtedness and to have a narrative. Because if you expand the debt and the debt to GDP ratio in this context, I, I think it would have a certain reading, you know, in terms of the markets and the investors and the rating agencies. It's not the same thing as, as you getting indebted just out of the blue last year. We're, we're facing very relevant shocks both to the health sector and to the economy, that make the perfect narrative to get uh, um, more indebted. I think everybody understands right now that the short-term priority has to be uh, saving lives. And, you know, you can deal with the implications for rating agencies and, you know, maybe even more severe repercussions later on down the road, but you've got to survive tomorrow first. Definitely. And when you when you make that choice, you have to go to the markets, explain that. But one thing that is very relevant is you have to have a future narrative on how you're going to uh, first stabilize your finances and then go back to the track of fiscal consolidation. So, so I, I am sure that Hacienda has this narrative ready for the president. It, it's just that we don't yet see a, a president that is willing to change his main, you know, promises in campaign to the people. But it just numbers don't add. And I always say that we are faced with three choices. First of all, I think either you can change your economic plans and, and your economic model which is try to get as much investment as, as you can, you know, make a, a new deal, a new arrangement with the private sector, both domestic and international, 
perhaps uh, start with the with the energy sector, with Pemex, uh, some farm outs that were already working, you know, restart some of the rounds for the energy sector. I, I think that could be a, a narrative, but it has to be a change in the economic model and the economic vision. The second possibility is just, you know, get more indebted, but have a narrative of, of how to go back on track in the future in terms of stabilization and then fiscal consolidation. And then the third possibility would be just to let things go out of your hand. And, and that's not a possibility and that's not an option because lots of Mexicans will suffer. We're starting to see all these stories about, you know, small, medium-sized enterprise uh, shutting down and not having the possibility to access to credit and not being able to pay the payroll. But there's no response so far. I was checking this chart that was done by Deloitte with all of the Latin American responses to the crisis. They all have a, an aspect of, of fiscal response. The only country that doesn't have one in the whole of Latin America is Mexico. I think that we still have a window of opportunity to, to have the mindset of, of the president being changed, to know that he's facing perhaps one of the most important state decisions that he will face in his mandate. And, and we need to have um, you know, a change of, of course in order for a proper economic package uh, to be delivered and to have a narrative on how to get back on track in terms of public debt in the coming years. Is there a way quickly, I mean, you as somebody in the opposition, Mexico seems still very polarized to me. Is there anything that, that you can do and that your party can do to try to turn the temperature down in terms of polarization and sort of coax the president toward a, a good solution here? I think we can all do that. We have been speaking the last days uh, to have a national agreement that includes obviously the federal government, but that includes the opposition parties, that includes the local governments, that includes the private sector, and that includes the society. I think that can be done. Just today, they, anna they announced that the shutdown will not be over uh, on April the 30th, but on May the 30th and perhaps on June the 15th, according to the circumstances. So I think that we're in the midst of still having that window of opportunity to have the right mix of policies in order to make things less painful for, for Mexicans. So I, I think I'm always a, a, a positive person and I think that we can have a national agreement that, that is imposed particularly by the society, particularly by the private sector, as uh, events unfold and being able to have an agreement that, that you know, that fits all. It, it would never be the perfect agreement, but it's always to have one that not to have anything. So I think that you can use resources, you know, for social programs, for those more vulnerable. You can also um, use the deferral of, of tax payments, that is, as it has been the case in other countries in Latin America and around the world. Um, you can also have some stimulus and financing from the big Uh, development banks in Mexico working together with the private banking, uh, all of what uh, the central bank is doing in terms of injecting liquidity, the swaps we have with the with the Fed in the U.S. We are only one of three countries from the IMF that have a, a, a contingency credit line open that we can you know pull at any time. We have uh, reserves. 
We still have this emergency fund. They used 40% of the resources last year, but still we have the 60% of those resources. So, I mean, there's, there's a way we can do it. And to mention something that I think it's very relevant, there's three projects that the president has put a lot of political effort to advance. They tried to make these three projects work for the private sector. They haven't. The question why is obviously because they are not uh, financially viable, but it's the Maya train, the Tubocas uh, refinery and the St. Lucia new airport. If we think about these three financially unviable uh, projects nowadays, I think that we can all agree in the national agreement that they can be postponed. I know I'm not even saying do not build them. We can discuss that, that later. But we can build them once the economy starts to grow. Each of the projects, you know, uh, account for 35 billion US, billion with a B. So, so, I mean, for starters, you can declare that these three projects are, are postponed. And just from one day to the next, you, you would have 35 billion US dollars to pour to the health sector and to pour to the economy sector with imaginative, innovative financing uh, mechanisms in order for, for those who need it more not to lose their jobs. So I think that we have an array of resources. We just need to find the ways in which we can have agreements. Forget about ideology, because I always say, Mexicans don't get served ideology on a plate in order to eat it on a daily basis, no? <laughs> uh, so, so we cannot uh, eat ideology. We should put a pause on ideology, be pragmatic, be, be visionary and, and be responsible. So I think that there's a space to have a national agreement in order for Mexico to use all of what it's uh, at hand. And it's a lot. We're the 15th economy out of 193 countries in the world. And we have the resources to, to move forward and to protect those who need it more. Senator, thank you. Fi final question for you before we let you go. It's, it's tough to look ahead right now um, beyond the pandemic just because, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, the crisis has such immediacy. But as we look into the medium term, you know, some people are already talking about uh, potential opportunities for Mexico in the economic realignment that is uh, expected to take place, especially where it regards supply chains. It's no secret that one of the outcomes of this crisis will be um, less reliance by the United States on on China, for example. And there's a possibility that some of that manufacturing could get moved to Mexico, which has been competing with China for, for many years now. Is there How realistic do you think that is, and is there anything Mexico can do in the short term to sort of prepare for that possibility and make itself um, as attractive as possible? I definitely believe that there's going to be an array of new possibilities to, to compete, to grow, and to be productive in this uh, post-COVID world and post-COVID economy that, that will, will arise, uh, especially for Mexico, definitely in the supply chains uh, in terms of, you know, uh, manufacturing, of course, but also, uh, you know, the health industry, fintech industry, uh, and many other industries that, that will arise and, and filling the void and filling the vacuum left by China and left by other countries in order to get into the supply chains. Definitely Mexico has a comparative advantage there. The USMCA will most probably be in place this year. So I think we have a space there. But, you know, prior to that, you need 
to protect the, the companies, either micro, small, medium, big, in order for them to be able to thrive through this crisis and to, to still be alive after this crisis. So I think there's a, a more immediate uh, emergency in order for those companies to be protected, to be able to, you, you know, to pass this crisis without uh, shutting down. And once we pass this juncture of a very uh, relevant one, two, three months, I think we would be able to convert the industry to invest on human capital, to invest on technology, and to be probably one of the of the winners of, of this new correlation of economic forces internationally after, after the COVID. So I think that we should be in that position. But in order for us to be in that position, we should be able first to give, uh, you know, emergency care and emergency assistance to every single center of production in Mexico uh, in order for us to be alive after this crisis and then to be able to compete in, in a more uh, productive way in the new world and in the new economy that will follow the COVID pandemic. Senator, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Brendan O'Boyle and Katie Hopkins. America's Quarterly is an independent, not-for-profit publication of America's Society and the Council of the Americas. This has been Brian Winter. Thanks for joining us.